Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-fiving friends. I'm so excited you guys are here, and I have an amazing guest to introduce to you today. Um, So today we have Chris on the podcast, and for over 20 years, Chris Lyon has been helping clients successfully with their healing, empowerment, purpose, and relationships, especially with highly sensitive people. She's a published author and expert on DS relationships. She's a certified coach, board-certified hypnotist, Reiki master, master NLP practitioner, and certified in applied neuroscience and brain health. She has a following of over 80,000 on social media, and she has created online courses, held workshops, and is a thought leader who has a passion for helping those who are ready to take their lives to the new level. Um, and then you can also find more resources and information at her link tree um, slash Chris M. Lyon, and I'll put that in the episode notes as well so you guys have access to that. But welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Thank you, Caitlin. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Of course. So I'd love to, I mean, you have an incredible bio. You seem like you just love to learn. Um, (laughs) So I think we have that in common, but I'd love to kind of chat with you um, and just hear, you know, how you got to doing what you're doing now. Well, yeah, I actually had a breakthrough. I had a big loss in my life, uh, probably about 22 ish years ago. Um, I lost my mother suddenly and Mm -hmm. I was more of her parent. So Mm -hmm. it really messed with my identity a little bit and well, a lot. And so I went through a process of transformation and changed everything. I went into more of a holistic field of of work. I learned everything I need to learn and uh, got just a lot of, I worked with people who were experts. I worked with professionals. I just immersed myself in learning. And I learned a lot about myself Mm -hmm. um, as someone who actually, you know, the term was PTSD. Mm-hmm. But it actually now is CPTSD, complex mm-hmm. uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've had that uh, as well as being a highly sensitive person. And so I learned all these things about myself. Actually, in the 90s, I learned about highly mm-hmm. sensitive people. I was working on that. And um, I have put this, what I've learned into my work with my clients. And it's been really successful in helping them with their uh, their breakthroughs, their transformation. So I just like to get the word out to anybody that can relate to it. I love the things that. that I'm, that I've learned. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think that what you hit on was a huge point of, you know, losing your mom and having this sense of a loss of identity a little bit. I think sometimes we take for granted these things that we put as part of our identity and we don't realize that when we lose them, it kind of causes like, you know, this idea of like midlife crises or quarter life crises because mm-hmm. our identity is shaken a bit. And so um, I think, you know, that's when a lot of beautiful transformation can happen, but it's also a really difficult time if you don't have, you know, the resources or know exactly like where to start. Very true. And it wasn't it, besides the identity, there was a lot of grief. There was a lot mm-hmm. of responsibility for my family. Um, so it was a whole bunch of stuff. And I just came to a point where I said, look, I need to get something out of this. That's good. I need to get something out of her life and her passing. That's good because I, I'm, I feel so torn down mm-hmm. um, and just such at a, at a point, you know, kind of a, where I could go either way um, in far as where, you know, what I did with my life. 
And the answers just started coming to me and I pursued them and I did the work. I wasn't just preactive, I was proactive. Hmm. Um, So it was pretty huge. And yeah, there are a lot of people who can relate to the stories of loss and trauma Mm -hmm. um, and can relate to kind of being down, but I'm very much about the healing and the empowerment and um, the relationship with self and others is really, really big for me. Everybody has an opportunity to um, optimize that for themselves and have the best that they possibly can. So that's a lot of my message, but I have actually learned a number of modalities that can help with that. And Mm -hmm. uh, the way that I teach it seems to be something that people can relate to and use to change in their lives. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it does affect a lot of people. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned the highly sensitive person and I think, um, we, a lot of us have heard that term, but not necessarily sure exactly what it means. So I'd love if you could kind of share really what a highly sensitive person is. Sure. Well, everyone that's listening, they either are a highly sensitive person or they love someone who is mm-hmm. most likely or a number of people. Um, mm-hmm. And so really it's about maybe they estimate it being one out of every five people who's a highly mm-hmm. sensitive person. And then you have the sensitive people that go along with that. So that's a lot of sensitivity in this mm-hmm. world. And the clinical term for highly sensitive people for that 20% is sensory processing sensitivity. Mm-hmm. It's actually a clinical term. It's not about a person's temperament. It's mm-hmm. not a disorder. It's simply a central nervous system difference. Um, and, you know, there, there are no studies that I know about that uh, are an effect on HSPs with trauma versus non-HSPs with trauma. But mm-hmm. one can imagine that trauma could be experienced much more acutely by a more sensitive nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we like to explain about highly sensitive people is literally they're taking in more at once. They're taking in more energy, information, emotions at once mm-hmm. uh, than non-highly sensitive people. And they're also processing that information and their feelings more deeply uh, mm-hmm. They notice subtle nuances uh, in the environment and in others. They can they process it very deeply, but they're taught as a rule from the research I've done to manage their lives as non-sensitive people from out of the from out of the gate mm-hmm. from early life. So yeah. since they're wired differently, and then they're they're kind of dealt with this kind of shame factor and mm-hmm. disapproval factor, and you need to be like everyone else. That will, that's, that in itself, I think is traumatizing, but it also kind of messes with the wiring. And then when the ones who have trauma, there's some rewiring there too. So they're Mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of things coming in and processing, and they're dealing with a lot of different wiring than people who are non HSPs. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, you know, I like that you said this is not a disorder, even though there is, you know, kind of the the clinical, um, side of things does understand this, but I, I think when I, um, learned that I'm a highly sensitive person, I, it was really empowering because it made me understand like, Oh, there's not something wrong with me. Those things that, you know, like, uh, traditional therapy has shown, or, um, you know, like this can help you this, you know, do this and this will help. It didn't work for me. And so when I was like, you know, feeling like there was something wrong with me or there was a disorder or something. I'm like, why do I feel so deeply and have all these, you know, things. And then I found kind of the holistic health and and started understanding a little bit more and like kind of your journey did my own, um, learning and healing. Then I really understood, but I, I love that, you know, that you said that this is not a disorder. This is something that is really empowering because it understands that you are wired differently. Um, and it's not, it's not something to be ashamed of. 
No, and you did mention the clinical part of it. Unfortunately, there are a lot of clinicians who don't um, haven't been um, trained or educated on it yet mm-hmm. uh, because it's newer. I think a lot of therapeutic interventions are wonderful and work mm-hmm. for many people, but a lot of the teaching is is um, is behind the times. And Absolutely. A lot of therapists, I've heard a lot of that. A lot of therapists have told my clients, no, there's no such thing as that. You don't know what you're talking about. And then mm-hmm. there's other therapists who are newer, mm-hmm. um, uh, more newly educated who are like, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I understand it. You know, let's work with you that way. So it's very, very, um, it could be very damaging, very hurtful mm-hmm. for people to be a highly sensitive person and have a clinician talk to them as in they, sh- as if that's not true. They shouldn't be like that. They should be something like something else. And there's actually something wrong with it. Um, this is a, causing a ton of harm. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it's very, very, very um, unfortunate. And it's something that we're working really hard on changing. Yeah. And I think it definitely is, you know, we're seeing that change. I am, uh, my background is in mental health and addiction counseling. So, um, you know, my program, I was really interested when I, you know, studying to be a counselor was really starting to integrate these pieces of mindfulness um, therapy and understanding that people don't function the same way and taking more of an eclectic approach and bringing in, you know, understanding energy and these different things. I thought that was um, really beautiful. Like one of the classes I remember taking was mindfulness-based um, modalities. And, you know, we did yoga every week and then we did uh, meditation every week and, you know, it just very, the basics kind of of touching it, but it was a really cool to see that in like a clinical mental health counseling program being implemented. Um, because I do, you know, I bring this into my, um, practice and with my clients too, of, you know, there is a such thing and people do function differently. Um, so I love that that is kind of the movement we are seeing, um, because like you said, it can be really damaging. It can. Um, my mother taught yoga for mm. a quarter of a century. So I was raised into that, mm-hmm. uh, more of the alternative and holistic yep. um, health modalities and treatments and um, types of just mindfulness, as you say. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be very difficult for uh, HSPs to go into that type of mindfulness um, because they don't really know how to value it because they're taught to be so different that mm-hmm. they shouldn't they shouldn't be how they are. They shouldn't follow the way their nervous system functions. So it's very hard for them to be in that mindfulness place. And also with, if they have trauma, um, mm-hmm. any kind of developmental complex trauma, especially if they're dealing with that, then they are more uh, taught to be on physiological, you know, like changes such as high alert, mm-hmm. hypervigilant, deeply hurt, ruminating um, on things. Uh, they also can become very empathic to help to, uh, take care of situations, fix situations, help Mm -hmm. everything, you know, come out. Okay. For everyone. So they can be a fixer. So they can, it can be very difficult having the right boundaries and doing the right self-care and being in the moment, because why would they value being in the moment if they've had to be on guard and they've Mm -hmm. been these human sponges who take in all this information and energy Mm -hmm. and get just absolutely completely like overwhelmed from it, how it's not as easy to Mm -hmm. value the mindfulness. And I'm glad that you went through and had that training. I'm glad that I've had that background because it is important to have the mindfulness, but we understand why that may not be their default. Right. Absolutely. So um, you kind of touched on that piece about, you know, being empathic and the idea of the sponge. So I think we hear, um, you know, the term empath thrown around a lot. And I'm curious how highly sensitive person is either different or the same as empaths. How does that kind of relate? 
Right. Well, I think anyone that thinks, uh, really believes they're an empath probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's probably something that you uh, both inherit and develop. Mm-hmm. But with highly sensitive people, there are gifts that come with it. Uh, and some of the gifts are gifts of uh, intense creativity, mm-hmm. very, very high intuition, mm-hmm. um, ability to deeply focus, being um, having high empathy. And, and some people are more empathic with uh, animals. Mm-hmm. or uh, plants or, you know, in people or other energies that they pick up. And so I think that, you know, maybe those senses for a lot of HSPs may be heightened. So I think there's a ton of HSPs out there who I know there are, who identify as empaths. Mm-hmm. And I, I can certainly believe that they are. Um, that's why if there's, they're empaths and they're so open to things and they're so aware of it and they're taking in so much, it's important to do energy work mm-hmm. to, as to not sponge that up to your detriment because it can be way too much. And again, we mentioned overwhelm and there's the overwhelm and shutdown. Overwhelm is a hallmark for HSPs. Mm-hmm. They can get very easily overwhelmed, but not because they're weak. Uh, and just, this is kind of an analogy. I'd love to use this. Yeah. Um, just imagine like a PVC pipe, just of a few inches mm-hmm. and somebody taking in for information uh, through that pipe, that would be a non-HSP. Then an analogy of like a giant lampshade, right? An <laughs> HSP taking in energy, like from that large of, of, of a type of pipe, um, it's it can be overwhelming to anyone if you're built mm-hmm. that way. So uh, yeah, I can I can definitely understand that most of most of us uh, feel empathic. Most of us uh, are very sensitive to uh, taking in a ton of energy. Uh, mm-hmm. We are actually, I believe. We're very intense people that live intense lives, but I don't think that we realize it because I don't think that we're raised or taught that we are. I completely agree with that. I'm like thinking, you know, just about my life. And it's so funny because um, I don't believe that my my partner, my husband is a, um, a highly sensitive person, but it's so funny when he, like when we talk about different things and he's like, gosh, like, how do you, you know, think about all this or how do you keep all these things straight? And how do you, you know, and I'm like, it's just because, yeah, it's like when you said it, we're intense people, we live intense lives. It's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very cool. I mean, it's it's really, um, like you said, I love that you said that it comes with so many gifts because that's very, very true. Yes. Um, so how do we know if we're a highly sensitive person? That's a good question. The best way that I've been able to tell is really not to have like a clinician or someone or a coach tell someone that, mm-hmm. but they may be able to suggest it to them. Mm-hmm. There is a test. Uh, that is actually online, but also originated in the book of Dr. Elaine Aaron, who wrote The Highly Sensitive Person in the Mm -hmm. 90s. She was the first one to really um, research this fully and come up with this in a way that people can understand. And she has a test. It's like 25 questions. It's really short. People can take it if they think they're highly sensitive. Usually what I have found is that people may think they're highly sensitive and go to take the test. You probably know what I'm going to say. End up finding that they are an Mm -hmm. HSP. And so you learn a lot about yourself in that way and see what your score is and it helps you score it. I actually have the test on my website as well. So it's in my links um, if anybody wants to learn about that. But when people find out that they are, and when you see your score and you really believe that you are, um, that's really up to you. And I've seen just, it's amazing, the illumination, the light that goes on with people. Mm -hmm. And then they can begin their process with it. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, you know, another one of the gifts is they've been able to be very present for others. Uh, There's that constant processing, but it's deep processing too. So then they, they, 
they get to this point when they've taken that test and just in a few minutes, I've had lives where people go take it and come back. They're like, Hey, this was my score. It was really high. <laughs> and, uh, and they, and they're like, this explains a lot. This explains a lot about who I am and how mm-hmm. I functioned all this time. So, uh, that's a, that's, that's the best way that I know how to find that out. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. I'm definitely interested to, um, just see what the questions are. I'm going to go have to take that. Cause like I said, I know I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm just curious to see what those questions are. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about how, um, you're bringing in so much more information and you're wired differently. Do you, the highly sensitive people communicate differently or is there a need to communicate differently? Well, I think they're good, pretty good communicators. They say that about mm, 70% ish. Cause we don't know exactly mm-hmm. our, um, our introverts. Mm-mm. Okay. Doesn't mean they don't communicate well, but right. um, they're introverts. Uh, and then there are your ambiverts. And of course, then the, the extroverts mm-hmm. in there somewhere. And so it just depends um, how they choose to communicate. Some are amazing writers. Mm-hmm. Some can be great speakers and teachers, um, but some do have a uh, social anxiety. And part of that is from you know, early development, uh, mm-hmm. being judged. And I've noticed that one of the things that's common is there's a lot of comparing yourself to other people. Ooh, as yeah. HSP. Why can't I have that kind of energy that those people, why can't I run like that? Why can't I do what they do? Why can't I have the schedule that they have? Mm-hmm. We cannot do that. If you are built differently, we're talking central nervous system. It runs through your entire being. Mm-hmm. It's a part of every your psyche, your skin. Like some people are more highly sensitive physically, some are more emotionally, and you know a lot of people are both. And so you 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 have to c- consider that comparing is really a trap. It's a fallacy, and mm-hmm. it's it's damaging. It keeps you down. So it can cause a lot of uh, limited beliefs, and it can cause a lot of social discomfort and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So that would affect, as you asked about communication. Mm-hmm. I work with clients a lot on uh, finding your voice mm-hmm. because when you're highly sensitive and people are like, no, 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 you shouldn't be like that. You need to be stronger. You need to be better. So they're equating it to being weak versus strong or whatever. Right. And you're too sensitive and you cry and this and that. These people are built wonderfully and they're being told, no, you're wrong. You're bad. And mm-hmm. You're weaker and you're lazier. Mm-hmm. So I would think that maybe communication could be a little develop, developed a little better when they start to come into their own rather than uh, keeping their light down and, mm-hmm. and, and everything closed and then having that, uh, that social discomfort or anxiety. So I do deal with a lot of HSPs who have a hard time finding their voice. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I think um, the social anxiety piece is kind of what I was curious about too, because um because of that equation of like, you know, looking at it as being weak or looking at it as being negative because you're different or different things like that. Um, cause like you said, you know, you and I are seeing this as a beautiful kind of powerful gift and something like that, but that is not necessarily how everyone else is seeing it. Like we talked about with kind of those, some clinicians saying this is not the way that, you know, there's no such thing. So talking about social anxiety, how can we, how do you help your clients move through this? Oh, you're getting me started on this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you just you're just honing right in. Perfect. Um, see why you do this. Uh, so the social anxiety. Uh, wow, it's heartbreaking to mm-hmm. to see people like this, but 
there's a ton of people out there that, that feel this. A lot of people literally believe that when they go out in public or they're around a group of people, that people are watching and assessing them. Mm -hmm. They're watching and judging them. Mm -hmm. And worse than that, they're picking up on their fear. Mm. People usually aren't. And so a lot of my work is please know that everybody's favorite subject is themselves. Mm -hmm. So start there. Everyone, there's other people. You're not the only person. Unfortunately, HSPs are internally focused, and I don't mean this in 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 an offensive way in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. But we're self centered. Mm -hmm. We make we're not selfish so much, but we're self centered. We make everything about us. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this person said this, so it must mean that they think this about me. No, they were having a bad day, Mm -hmm. right? Um, these people must be judging me. No, in fact, this person's scared to death and over by the corner. They're not rejecting you. They're scared of other Mm -hmm. people. They're scared about how people will see them. Mm -hmm. So if you go into a situation realizing that everyone's there for their own comfort and worrying about how they look and and what they're getting out of it, how they feel, and you go into it that way and you start relating to people that way and you start talking to people about their favorite subject. Mm -hmm. You're going to start building rapport. Mm-hmm. So I have a hit, I have a background as a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming. Right. And in my training, I've had a lot of content on building rapport, like mm-hmm. instant rapport, like unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So I actually teach people how to do this. And in my program, I have a program for my clients. It's called Breakthrough Transformation Program. In that program, we have a portal where I actually have a workshop that I do on building instant rapport mm-hmm. and helping people with social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, uh, the social anxiety is crippling. It's debilitating. It's horrible. Um, and I know it's easy for me to say, I'm not saying get over it. I know it's easy for me to say, let's reframe because I'm an ambivert, mm-hmm. but let's reframe because I've <laughs> gone out there and I've been like, think, felt like people were looking at me, the attention was on me and I wasn't enough or good enough or what I've been out there and done that. Mm-hmm. I know how it feels, but I also know how it feels to turn it around, to turn things around and say, mm-hmm. build rapport is two of the main roles that you begin with in rapport building are commonality. Like you have common ground with someone. Mm-hmm. That's why people talk about the weather. Now, HSPs don't like small talk. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> okay, yeah, you cut right on that. They don't like small talk. It's offensive to them. They're 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 more they're they're deeper. Mm-hmm. But the small talk is a bridge. It's an icebreaker into rapport. So mm-hmm. value it. So if they talk about, you can be in the same place at place at the same time, or it's a beautiful day. Yes, it is. You come in. Oh, it's nice in here. It's a nice temperature. That's fine. It's commonality. So mm-hmm. once that you two. Uh, kind of uh, express or acknowledge some, any simple commonality you have, you've already started building rapport. The second one is really safety is that they don't feel threatened by you. So if you come into a place and you already have that social anxiety and you have this high, strong energy and you're kind of like daunted, everything's daunting for you and you're looking around and you're afraid and you're, and you've never been here before. People are going to see that. And Mm -hmm. you're going to make them uncomfortable. You're not going to seem like a safe energy coming in. But if Mm -hmm. you come in, like you own your own, you know, you own your own space and you've been around here, you know, maybe you've been here before. You don't, you could just act like you belong here. 
people look at you and then like, okay, and they look away, mm-hmm. uh, or in, you're fine, or they t- start talking to you and your body language and your breathing is comfortable and you're talking like you're safe, or you're talking about them. You're saying, hey, I love your outfit, or, you know, oh, it's, I love your baby, so adorable. Um, it's talking about their favorite subject, so it's safe. Mm-hmm. So when you have that commonality and then that safety where they're not threatened, you can begin to build rapport. In fact, it already begins to build rapport. It mm-hmm. just, it can catch momentum from that place. So I love talking about building rapport because people can do it like automatically. So if you stop making it all about you and they're looking at you, they must be thinking that, and start making it about them. Mm-hmm you'll have that connection. You'll have that unconscious report and unconscious report. Really a component of that is them accepting you, them Mm. liking you and accepting you, trusting you more. um, And it's a connection. Right. And it's a basic human need. I mean, it's a basic human desire to want to be accepted. Right. So, you know, but I think you had on so many um, just like gold nuggets right there. I want to highlight a couple of them. So one of the ones I really liked is that you talked a lot about like the nonverbal um, body language as kind of like, if you know, you're going in there and you're looking around and not feeling safe, people aren't going to expect that. So it made me think about um, this story and I cannot remember for life of me where it came from, but it was a research. Um, it was something in a research study that I had read. And this guy decided that he was miserable and he was going to take his own life. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go walk around. And if somebody smiles at me, I won't take my life. And unfortunately nobody did. And so he did take his life, but it shows you the power of that nonverbal communication already, because it shows you the smile could have impacted that guy not taking his life. So it shows you too, that even a smile does build that rapport because that's what he was looking for. He was looking for some rapport, some acceptance, some acknowledgement. And the other piece too, I think that, um, I think is really incredible is, you know, there's been studies that show within the first 10 seconds, somebody has already looked at you and decided if they're going to, if you're going to fit into their life and how you're going to fit into their life. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're not even interacting in a verbal way in that 10 second period. So that nonverbal is super important. But then, like you said, we get into that verbal piece of things. Um, And, you know, my, my mom always used to tell me this and it's so funny because you know, I put it into play as a child and kind of growing up. And, um, it's that everyone's favorite word is their name. Uh And if you say somebody's name, it's Mm -hmm. a huge acknowledgement, right? So, um, I love that, you know, that a piece of the the rapport talking about that commonality, but in, in, you know, implementing their name too, it's people love to hear their name. People love because it's their favorite subject is themselves. So I think, um, those are kind of some things that really stuck out to me as really important. Um, and I think kind of tie into, you know, NLP a lot. Um, I'm actually studying to be a neurolinguistic practitioner right now. So um, that's, you know, something that I caught on to. I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. Rapport building. That's huge. <laughs> it is huge. It's, yeah. it's great to learn about too. And it's great to see like, oh, wow, I've done that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what you're saying about um, the name, uh, I do teach everyone's favorite subject is themselves. And then the second part that I teach is the sweetest sound of someone's ears is their name. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some people that could be that that's not necessarily true, may make them uncomfortable, sure. but that's a very, very small a minimum amount of people. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by using their name. A lot of HSPs think it's invasive, but it's not because when you use someone's name, it's incredibly familiar to them and you will get their positive attention right away mm-hmm. when you use their name and remember their, what their favorite subject is. 
So leading from that is amazing, but you're right. We, we do, we are wired for and crave connection. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, people like to be acknowledged. They like to be accepted and validated, mm-hmm. but even just the connection alone, mm-hmm. having connection with someone is amazing. This rapport building actually makes the other person feel like, Hey, you know what? Unconsciously they're like me. Mm-hmm. It literally does. And so, and you're right, because I believe I've heard that I hear different things about this and who would really know, but they say that up to 70% of our communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So right from the get-go, it's your energy and the way you hold yourself, breathe, your posture, what you're kind of, your, your, you know, kind of like gestures or motions you're making. Uh, and then we go into people's, uh, you know, mirroring other people's gestures, uh, postures, mm-hmm. just a little bit here and there. We go into mirroring the pace that they're speaking and maybe the volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I have somebody come into my office who is from down south, I'm from Southern California, so I can sit talk real fast with them like that, no problem. I, you know, <laughs> but they're not going to relate to me very well that way. Right. So if I start out kind of sitting in a way that they're sitting and maybe talk a little bit more drawn out, maybe take some more time to talk, they'll relate to me better. Mm-hmm. Once that rapport is built with, with me using some of those rules, which I do naturally. Uh, and then there's other things you can do to build rapport too. There's other types of things you can match. Um, and once you do that, you can go back to, like I say, I go back to my, uh, my Italian hands, like a hand <laughs> flying over, even though I'm not Italian. <laughs> I, I go back to talking a little faster and gesturing a little more. And by then the rapport is already built. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be somebody else. Right. It's just good to try to match them from where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. That's easy to do. A lot of HSPs, that's not their default because they're mm-hmm. so internally focused. So I try really hard to uh, reframe mm-hmm. uh, that mindset. Reframing is something that I constantly am doing with people. Um, so if they, if I reframe it and they will value that and buy in and they will practice it, you can practice it out with anybody, a server or anybody, um, they'll find instant results. I've mm-hmm. had clients who've had instant results. I have one who couldn't get a date. I worked with him for three weeks. He was getting comped, uh, when he was going out with meals and things. And, and right after that, he met his wife who's been with for like eight years. Mm-hmm. I've had so much. And with teenagers too, I've, I've helped them. I have awesome. get rid of their bullies. So building rapport is super important, but HSPs need to kind of break through their mindset in order to be able to do it. But they can because they're very conscientious people and they can be very present with others. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. I mean, I've, you know, I think being a counselor, I've, I've really learned to, uh, and, you know, being intuitive and, you know, paying attention to that. I've really learned to pay attention to a lot of people's other body language. And it's so interesting, you know, what you can pick up on when you are outside of yourself, you know, and, and really what you can understand about the power of matching. And so I think, you know, that's a beautiful tool to be teaching. Right. Right. There's pacing and leading mm-hmm. where you actually know you have rapport with someone if you're sitting there and talking with them and you're kind of copying maybe some of their their intonation, their pace, their volume, Mm -hmm. maybe using some of their gestures and maybe some of their um, postures and uh, using their name, things like that. Little things that are easy to do. They won't know if you're purposely doing it or not because, you know, they kind of just met you. Right. But you can get to that point where if you reach for something to drink and they do, then you know you have rapport (laughs) because now you're leading, which I'm not saying people do this to lead. 
Right. But it is a way to have influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is effective in that way as well. Uh, but I, I really love helping to teach with rapport because I believe when people can get rapport easier, they can make their voices heard. They can find their voices more. Mm-hmm. And I believe that then it helps them with boundaries, mm-hmm. getting what they want and need, uh, really presenting themselves as who they are, being more effective and just making a positive impact, you know, on their, in the world. Yeah. I love that. Cause I think, you know, most of the stuff we've touched on is, is really about how to become empowered as being a highly sensitive person. And, 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 you know, you keep touch, uh, saying, you know, the reframing part, and that's a huge piece. And, um, you know, by more traditional therapeutic kind of, um, background that I come from, or my clinical orientation is cognitive behavioral therapy. So obviously it has a lot of reframing, um, and we're working a lot with the thought processes. So I want to, um, just touch on the piece of like, I know you're certified in applied neuroscience and brain health. And so I want to talk a little bit about the idea of reprogramming our minds. Cause that's kind of part of that reframing piece. Um, so I'll just kind of leave it at that and let you take it where you do. <laughs> Sure. Oh, your questions are just amazing. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I love this. Um, yeah, this is huge. And it, it, it really does go along with all of this. Um, we can be, we have that original conditioning um, mm-hmm. with our nervous system habits and beliefs, things like that. So we have that original conditioning and it's often done by people who maybe are having a hard time getting through the day, mm-hmm. trying to struggle with their lives, maybe judge themselves. Um, and, and don't accept their own high sensitivity or don't know how to relate to highly sensitive people and are, uh, have some shame from it, some frustration. Mm-hmm. So we can get wired with their limiting beliefs. Uh, and just by hearing the things that they say and the way that they treat us or what they tell us not to do or how not to be, things like that. We have a beautiful thing with the nervous system called neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And neuroplasticity uh, just this is exciting. Just be assured that neuroplasticity happens at any age. So Mm. after the age of 25, it's a little different. You can rewire some of the old conditioning based on your truth by um, using different actions, different uh, types of, uh, you know, self-talk, you know, commands to the mind is what I would say as a board certified, you know, hypnotist. Mm -hmm. Um, because the commands are your commands you're making is really your self-talk and their mm-hmm. commands to your unconscious mind, which doesn't, isn't judging you. It's just going to take it as this is. Take this it is as is, right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we can re- literally build new connections based on our truth uh, with neuroplasticity by using the uh, different actions, the different uh, self-talk or commands and doing it in a focused and repeated way. And those are two terms that need to be emphasized. Mm. Repeated and focused. Not really in a peripheral way, uh, not just a few times, but over and over and over and over, focusing Mm -hmm. on it, the new connections form. And you can literally overwrite the old conditioning. I use different terms like conditioning, programming, mm-hmm. um, things like that. It literally is reprogramming your, mm-hmm. your, your mind is like a supercomputer that yeah. I think that's how we, I think that's how people learn to build computers based on kind of the model of the mind. Mm-hmm. So we've got our hardware and our software and all the, and so, and, and, and we've got that, uh, what do you call the, the operating system? Mm-hmm. Starts with that. <laughs> so we can reprogram, um, 
some of these connections according to what we want in our truth. And we can do it using neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. There are a number of modalities that help us do that, such Mm -hmm. as meditation, hypnosis, different techniques in uh, NLP, uh, somatic experiencing, uh, a ton of things. Mm -hmm. But we can do it. And so I like that we're talking about empowerment because I notice a lot of HSPs, whether they realize they are or not, are very much in kind of a hopeless or helpless mentality, maybe a victim mentality Mm -hmm. quite Mm -hmm. often. It doesn't need to be that way. Life is short. Choose healing and empowerment instead. Um, Life goes so much better. So it's really a choice. And once we decide, hey, I want that healing and empowerment, which go hand in hand, we can use neuroplasticity to do that reprogramming our way, according Mm. to who we are, not according to other people's old, I call it antiquated thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, and, and it's, it, it's life-changing. And I, I've done a lot of that work myself and I've helped clients do that successfully. So I'm a big believer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I um, just want to highlight that you said it's a choice because I think that is something I work with on a lot with my clients, right? That idea of the victim mentality. Um, and you know that they kind of, I've, I've had, a, I had a client um, kind of really highlight this concept for me. And they were talking about, you know, some trauma that they had had and, um, they brought up, um, I think it was Oprah. It was like, you know, that she had had this trauma and then she became like, you know, this public figure and all this money. And they were like, how did, how did they do that? How does she do that? And I remember what I said to them was it's a choice, right? Because there's power in that decision of, yep, I get to either, you know, be empowered and use my, um, my background and my trauma and my experiences to help and heal others, to move through my own, to see how powerful I am. Like there's so many things that we can do. So I love, love, love that you highlighted. It is absolutely 100% a choice because we do have that, right. That, you know, that, um, old cliche of like, you can't teach an old dog, new tricks. That's not true. We see that with neuroplasticity. We see that with people changing their lives and, you know, changing, um, their environment and their, all these different things. It's because they're changing that thought pattern with that focus and repetition, like you were talking about and changing that, um, you know, the way that they're actually functioning within their physical body and brain. It's powerful. hundred percent. It's physiological, literally. Mm-hmm. And, even with people, you know, we have the two parts to the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is we've got the uh, sympathetic and the parasympathetic mm-hmm. systems and the sympathetic is more of, you know, I mean, they're two complete opposites and the parasympathetic is something that, you know, we want to, we want to be aware if we're in rest and digest or if we're on alert and go and run. Mm-hmm. And so we need to know how to go back and forth between those two. So if there's, you know, it's difficult because a lot of people don't realize that they're in mm, fight or flight mode. A lot of times, Mm -hmm. maybe they're in, and some people call it, you know, they're living in a perpetual trauma response. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that that's where they're going to remain the victim. If they don't realize that they're being up in their nervous system where they're in fight or flight, Mm -hmm. no, you can choose to go over. You can choose to go over to the, to the, um, to the part that's calm and relaxed mm-hmm. and it, it, you, you actually have that choice. It's the same thing with energy. Some people say I take in too much energy. I can't help it. And I actually feel things that happen to people or I feel um, things that happen in the world. Mm-hmm. And I feel that kind of thing. And I'm like, you know what? You can't stop being an empath, right? You can't, 
But what you can do is you can make a choice about if you want to have more control over your, your energy. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't have the most spiritual practice. I, I think that the spiritual part comes with my clients doing the, the things that we're doing that are based on logic or science mm-hmm. and the spirituality can come to them through that. But literally when I'm telling them you have a choice, that means that you can do some energy work and it works. Mm -hmm. Like we're all energetic beings. We all um, can affect or influence each other. Yep. And so when you get with a lot of people who are putting you down, not respecting your boundaries and you're bringing them close, those are your biggest influences. You're Mm going to be energetically affected, period. So when people say they don't have a choice, yes, you do. Mm -hmm. My rule of thumb is everybody you hold close is literally uh, supporting your happiness and well-being. And then everyone else is at arm's length or cut off. Literally, mm-hmm. uh, you're not trying to hurt people. You're just you you want to bring in the best influences that you possibly can. That already affects your energy. Yep. Then if you do some energy work, there's grounding. We're up in our heads a lot. As mm-hmm. I said, we're intense people. Do your grounding work. Absolutely. Do your clearing work. Do mm-hmm. your shielding. Mm-hmm. Um, they are commands to your unconscious mind. Do your calming to get into your calm part of your nervous system. To be, to be in a calm space, mm-hmm. be aware of it. Uh, so yes, we have choices about a lot of these things. Um, I actually, I actually wrote a book, which is behind me. I wrote a book uh, years ago that I never would have done if I hadn't had this transformation mm-hmm. and, you know, worried about it and stressed about it and being perfectionist about it. And thinking and ruminating about it. Not, you know, mm-hmm. it's when I got kind of over myself and, realize, you know what, I get to do and have things that people do. And I, I get to do things that are going to influence the world. I get to do this and I'm going to, when you get that in your head and that's what you're going to do, that's what, who you're, what you're going to do and who you're going to be. Mm-hmm. If you get it in your head that you're a victim and poor you, and you have the harder, hardest life in the world, that's what you're going to be. Mm-hmm. I was told many years ago by uh, my first therapist that I went to she said, I've been practicing for 27 years. She says, you have the worst childhood I've ever heard, mm. ever heard of. I was like, oh, not real sure what to do with that at the time. Yeah. Not super helpful. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't, she wasn't too helpful, but I, I, you know what? I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, and I, I looked around, my other friends didn't seem to have as much trauma, mm-hmm. but then it's like, do I get to live in that mm-hmm. or do I get to choose for right. more for what I want? Do I get to put myself from a trauma response, living in a, a, a perpetual trauma response into that calm, resourceful, like you said, mindful state? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. You know what is going to be easy? Mm, no. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because the mind loves the familiar. Yep. So what do you do? People like mind loves the familiar. What do you do? You create a new familiar. Mm-hmm. And we touched on that with neuroplasticity. So you create a new familiar that it, that works for you, that serves you more. So for me, being a victim or being down or being someone who's abused or neglected or, you know, whatever, any of that, um, it wasn't what I wanted my identity to be from that point going forward. Yes, I share my story to help, but it wasn't who I wanted to be. So I know how to go into the nervous system, the parts of my nervous system that are calming, mm-hmm. that are, that are, that are peaceful that will help me be in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work on that on a regular basis. Does it work for everyone? What you use working for everyone? No. Some people use, um, you know, they'll use a, a traditional meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, other people will do other things like maybe do sensory deprivation, go in floating mm-hmm. tank. Um, other people will do exercising where they're doing exercising with music. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will be singing. There's all kinds of things you can do. I go in my pool. Um, mm-hmm. I swim in my pool and I listen to music and when I'm in my pool <laughs> and it works for me, mm-hmm. it helps me be more grounded. It helps me be more in the moment. It helps me feel better, more calm, relaxed, more resourceful. And when you're in that resourceful state, it's like so hard to be a victim. Absolutely. Yeah. And you do have, you do have a choice. I'm glad that you teach people about having the choice. I don't think some people hear it, unfortunately, as mm-hmm. much as we'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're working on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that's great too, that you point out, you know, that place can look so different for everybody. I mean, mine is horseback riding when I'm, you know, out horseback riding, there's nothing else that, you know, matters. I'm kind of in that place. So, um, you know, finding what works for you is, is really, really powerful and important, but, um, I, I really love kind of you know, all that you're, you've been talking about and, um, kind of the work you're doing, it's really, really powerful. And, and I want to touch before we wrap up on one other thing about kind of sharing the story. Cause I think, um, that's really powerful too. You know, I resonated a lot with what you're saying, cause I have a lot of, um, trauma in my past and I've shared my story as well. And not in, a, it, it comes from a di- very different place, but I had somebody tell me, you know, um, you seem very detached from your story and, it was kind of interesting to me because I was like, you know, I'm not detached from my past, but I've gone to a place where I know how to not relive that trauma and shift into that calm, mindful space. Right. So I've processed and healed enough that I share my story to help others. Um, but I, I really like kind of that, um, that it's not that we're detached from it. It's that piece of, you know, you get to look at what has happened when you do shift out of a victim mentality in a very different way than you originally felt about it. Cause I think that sometimes that can be a fear for people is, you know, well, if I process my trauma, I'm going to have to relive my trauma or re-experience it, or I'm going to feel that again. And it's not necessarily that you, you shift into a very different way of kind of like Chris is talking about reprogramming your mind. It's actually completely different how you're going to process that. And so when you think about your trauma, it's going to be in a very different way. Um, and coming from a different place is kind of the highlight that I'd like to make. Yes. That's so powerful. I've been told the same thing. Yeah. The exact same wording. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we talk about it like it's a matter of fact. Yeah. I think that because we're using it as a point of reference Mm -hmm. as part of our story and what we came from. So, but where we've been is so much more exciting. Like Mm -hmm. where we went from that is so much more huge for us. Right. And we're, we're going there and we're loving it, but we're trying to help other people do the same. Right. And that's super important uh, work that we Mm -hmm. do. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I understand some people can be, you know, sometimes you have to, when you go through your story in Mm -hmm. your mind or with someone, sometimes you have to cry it out. Sometimes it helps people to write it out. And sometimes it helps people to do uh, somatic experiencing with their body to release it Mm -hmm. or process it. A lot of people find that talk therapy for it isn't always helpful. Sometimes it's harmful, especially Mm -hmm. they did um, studies um, with veterans Mm -hmm. and they found that more, it's more of us, the somatic work that helped them. Yep. So that everybody has their different way of being able to process and heal from it. But our stories are helpful to us as a point of reference from where, mm-hmm. how far we've, we've come and what we've done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty powerful stuff. So Absolutely. yeah, exciting. Well, Chris, this has been 
just an absolutely amazing conversation. I feel like I could just keep talking to you forever. Um, (laughs) But I want to wrap up and be respectful of our listeners time as well as yours. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so much. Um, I do want to tell our listeners, um, thank you guys for you guys sharing your time with us. Chris's information will be in the episode notes. So scroll over there, go take that highly sensitive um, person test. If that's something you're thinking about, I think that's a great reference. Um, And then also please subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you thought. Let us know what you liked. Um, And if you want to hear something else on the podcast, always feel free to reach out and let me know. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you. It's a great pleasure, Caitlin. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.